Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. (laughs) Or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. Hello listeners, welcome to episode 61 of Movie Oubliette, your favourite hemisphere-hopping podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, finding out what it's like to have a swab up your nose in Cambridge, UK. (laughs) And me, Dan, receiving my third lockdown haircut from my wife in Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) We focus on sci-fi, fantasy and horror films because we love breathing machines with creepy baby faces, dreams about walking through a corridor of flowers and endless close-ups of hypodermic needle penetrations. Yeah, I love needles. Just love them. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, how are you? Feeling good? Feeling well? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're about to have our lockdown extended another couple of weeks but you know it's all for the best how about yourself conrad feeling better yeah i'm feeling better now sharp-eared listeners may have noticed in our previous episode that my voice was giving out and i had a horrible cold and some of my symptoms were a bit covidy yes i got tested for the first time ever and yes it involves having a swab driven so far up your nose you think it's going to come out the other side and it's very, very unpleasant. Yeah, I can only imagine. But negative, so I'm all good. Touch hey, <laughs> on the mend. So feeling better now, which is good. So hopefully my voice will be better this time. Yeah. Well, I didn't actually notice. <laughs> I, I think your, your voice, even on a bad day, is uh, amazing. <laughs> I, I did hear you, you saw a movie recently. At the movie, I did. <laughs> yeah, I went to the cinema for the second time since lockdown began. Mm-hmm. I went to see Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Yes. His grand production that's going to save the cinema. Yes. And was mm. it amazing? It's absolute shit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I think actually if you just put yourself inside a washing machine on a fast spin for two and a half hours, you may come out of it feeling pretty much the same as watching (laughs) Tenet. Oh no. (laughs) So listeners, you heard it first, go see Tenet Mm. now. (laughs) Yeah. No, maybe wait for something else. It's let me put it this way: if you're worried about being in a crowded place with lots of people, Tenet is not worth dying for. No. It really isn't. Okay. Wait for something else. That would be my advice. Right. But <laughs> I may be wrong. I may be wrong. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Have the listeners been talking to us, Conrad? They have, yes. So Darth Sean got in touch on Krull and said, Hot damn! Only revisited this classic about a month ago. Hadn't seen it in years. Still cheesy, but equally epic as I remember. Although I actually remember the soundtrack more. It's glorious. Mm. I think he's right. Especially 
all those mountain climbing scenes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the thing. He had plenty of time to stretch out with his music. Yeah. He, James Horner. <laughs> it's great stuff. It's early Horner at his best. So it's a wonder to behold. Yes, indeed. We also heard from Ryan Film Critic, who said... I remember talking to a girl about the fourth kind and she genuinely thought it was real since she saw it. The comment section of the trailer on YouTube actually has a lot of people convinced. A lot of people also say it genuinely scares them in the comments. So... Yeah, I was doubting my opinions on the movie after I watched it because mm. I thought it's... I mean, the, the ratings on IMDb aren't too bad. Yeah. Like, a lot of the reviews aren't are pretty good. Uh, so I went on Reddit because, you know, Reddit is the <laughs> the place you go for the <laughs> truth. And, oh, um, yeah, yeah a, a good amount of people were really freaked out by that movie. So I guess it does touch a chord for many people. Yeah, it must do. It just didn't do anything for me at all. But Yeah, me neither. No. <laughs> We also heard from Tom B. Stone, who said, You guys continuously surprise me. I love it. You mentioned the peanut butter solution. Oh, yes. I've been looking for another human who knows of its existence. People look at me like I'm on acid when I explain it. Yeah. The movie's like a freaking fever dream from what I remember. It's pretty weird. Yeah. About a boy that goes into a house, loses his hair, then he makes a solution and he gets all his hair back, but it grows like twice as fast. It's, it's an, yeah, it's an odd movie for sure. I think we should do it as a bonus episode or something. I think yeah. we should do it, try yeah. and track this thing down. Okay. We also heard from Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. Ah, Surge, hello. <laughs> hello, Surge. On Intruder, and he said, Intruder is totally not my thing. The whole selling point seems to be that it follows the slasher formula so devotedly, and I'm not a fan of slashers. But with that said, the plot does keep it moving and the filmmakers are having fun, so I definitely get why it has so many fans. Mm. Which I think is good balanced look at it. I mean, you didn't like slashers either, do you? I don't like slashers, but um, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was just loads of fun. Yeah. So there we go. That's the mailbag for this yes. episode. Thanks, everyone, for getting in touch. We love hearing from you. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, I guess it's time to find something else for them to talk about. What are we going to look at this time? Oh, it's, it's my go. Yay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's walk down here. <laughs> oh, I'm, I seem to be in a deli with oh. some very strange-looking meat. Celebrity meat steak, sir. Here's Hannah Geist on the house. Oh, uh... No, thank you. But uh, I've got the movie. I'm coming back, Conrad. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, have you heard about Aria Noble's anus? Today, I have with me the 2012 sci-fi horror film, Antiviral. Oh, who did that then? So it's actually written and directed by, I guess this guy's going to really hate this, but David Cronenberg's son... Brandon Cronenberg. Ah, interesting. It's his debut, is it? It is. It's his debut. It stars Caleb Landry-Jones, Sarah Gaddon, Douglas Smith, Nicholas Campbell, 
Joe Ping and Malcolm McDowell. Oh. <laughs> the only famous person on this list. Mm. So Antiviral is a science fiction horror film set in a reality where celebrity diseases are the latest consumer item. Mm. We're getting the newest herpes infection is what the kids these days are lining up for. Our main protagonist, Sid March, works for one of these lucrative companies selling these trendy afflictions, but also delves into the illegal sale of the viruses on the black market, bypassing the copyright using the ready face (laughs) machine. However, things go pear-shaped when Sid injects himself with the latest viral infection from highly worshipped celebrity Hannah Geist, who unexpectedly dies. Time is running out as Sid tries to find out the mm-hmm. truth about Hannah's virus as he himself deteriorates. Oh. Is a competing company to blame? Is his favourite celebrity meat purveyor betraying him? <laughs> Does Hannah Geist really not have a vulva? <laughs> These questions will be answered as we discuss antiviral. Oh my. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Everything will be revealed after the break. And we're back like a rash to discuss Brandon Cronenberg's <laughs> debut movie. <laughs> right. Antiviral, a film which I have to say, Dan, just to kick off, is really fun to Google when you're trying to research it because you just get lots of crackpot remedies wow. for coronavirus. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, it is very uh, timely, I guess, to be talking about a film like Antiviral. Mm. I hadn't seen this movie before. Uh, had you? What's your history here? Yeah, I, I saw this <laughs> film maybe, I don't know, eight years ago, probably when it came out. Right. And I was very intrigued. Obviously, he is the son of David Cronenberg, so mm. very, very big shoes to fill. Immediately, you're just comparing. Yeah. You just can't not compare. It is very similar mm. to a David Cronenberg movie. It's the sort of thing he would do. It's not as horrific as what David Cronenberg would do, I would expect much more gore mm. and body horror. There is a little bit. Yeah. What were your first impressions? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for Brandon Cronenberg, isn't it? I guess he can't really escape yes. being compared with his father. It reminds me of the introduction to a book written by Joe Hill, the son of Stephen King, sure. who talks about the fact that for a long time he tried to do everything other than write horror novels. Right. It didn't work out very well anyway. And he ended up writing horror and yeah. he's fucking amazing at it. And think, actually, I think he's better than his dad. Oh, wow. He, <laughs> I think so. I think things like Horns and Lock and Key, which was turned into a series on Netflix recently, I thought was really good. But in his intro, he talks about this struggle with how do you deal with the shadow that your father casts? Mm. He concluded that the guy who doesn't keep running away from his father's shadow gets on better in life sure. because you're not constantly comparing yourself to make sure that you're not doing the same things as him. Mm-hmm. So he says... 
The person who's more interested in being like his father, he said, he's free to be his own man because his father was. The father, in truth, doesn't throw a shadow at all. He becomes instead a source of illumination, a means to see the territory ahead a little more clearly and find one's own particular path and I try to remember how lucky I've been. And I think that's interesting because Brandon Cronenberg in the behind the scenes talks about how he tried for a long time to do anything other than direct movies. Uh He wrote, he drew, he sculpted, you know, he tried every other medium, music, sound, and then realised that there was one medium where you combine all of these things, and it was film and... Yeah, it seems like he has a real affinity for it, so he's just directing movies, and yeah, it's a body horror movie. <laughs> so yeah. It's like, well, he can't escape it, really, but I think he's at peace with that, and he's just carrying on, and he's made two movies now. The next one's coming soon, isn't it? Yeah, Possessor. I just yeah. saw the trailer for it. So what did you make of the whole negotiating the Cronenbergs, yeah. like father-like son? I mean, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree, has it? Yes. Obviously, I couldn't help compare... It is a different type of movie, though. Mm. I find David Cronenberg's movies to be a little bit messy, especially his early stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas this is very almost like too thought out. Like everything is just seems to be perfectly placed. Mm. And visually, this film is just amazing. Yeah. It has this white on white color palette, which mm. they say in the commentary that it was just so difficult <laughs> to try to control because there's so many reflective white surfaces and trying to light everything so everything doesn't look blown out, but you could still see details. Yeah, it was a feat mm. to really pull off. And I heard that they were going for a cross between going to a doctor's appointment and a fashion shoot. Yes. Which is exactly what it looks like. Yes. It looks like you're just <laughs> going to get a checkup, but everyone looks fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> they do, yeah. Sitting in the waiting room with all these enormous glamour shots of the people who you're going to get infected by. Mm. You're basically getting a genetically engineered copy of their latest flu which is a fascinating premise. I mean, obviously the film is taking celebrity culture and celebrity obsession and pushing it to the furthest possible extreme. Mm. And all of it stems from a fever dream Brandon Cronenberg had while he was unwell and he became obsessed with the fact that his cells were being penetrated and taken over by something that used to be in somebody else's body mm-hmm. and has been passed to him. And he said to himself, this is kind of intimate in a strange biological way. And he thought, who would this appeal to? The first thing he could come up with was people who are obsessed with celebrities. It sort of clicked into place, I think, when he saw an interview where Sarah Michelle Gellar was on the Jimmy Kimmel show, apparently. Okay. And she said something about, if I sneezed right now, I'd infect the whole audience. And the audience cheered. Yeah. And he thought, ah, okay. They want to have Buffy's cold. Yeah. So I mean, that's where he went it, with it. It sounds <laughs> batshit crazy. I mean, who on earth would want a herpes infection from <laughs> Tom Cruise or something? <laughs> that's just crazy. But it's not that crazy. I mean, people buy handkerchiefs that Paul McCartney has used or, yeah. you know, old socks from Elvis Presley or, or you know, yeah. it's actually not that crazy. And, but at the same time, there were so many scenes in the movie that I just thought, 
this is hilarious, but it's so serious. Like all the promo videos of like a woman sneezing and then facing the camera and smiling, and then the <laughs> the company logo comes up or someone with like a really bloody coleslaw. This is ridiculous. Mm. It's such a out there idea that it's almost too hard to comprehend as a valid idea. Yeah, it is. And it does that thing that speculative science fiction does really well, which is to take a social trend and then just push it to the yes. furthest possible extreme mm-hmm, that it mm-hmm. can go to, just to make you think about how weird the thing was to begin with. Mm. Like, why are we obsessed with celebrities' bodies? Here's a close-up of Madonna's hands. Look how wrinkly they are compared to her face. You know, that Mm. kind of thing. And how much cellulite does Gwyneth Paltrow have? Yeah. Why are we obsessed with these things? And so Brandon creates this world where, as far as we can see, all the television does is celebrity gossip about their bodies, Mm. including really invasive voyeuristic stuff like infrared images of their crotch so you can see how warm their vagina is. Yeah. Or like Aria Noble's anus. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like a, I don't want to see that. <laughs> What's wrong with Aria Noble's anus? <laughs> yeah. And people endlessly speculating about Hannah Geist, who's this film's superstar, just endlessly speculating about some deformity that she's meant to have. And one of the things that I love about this movie is that you go all the way through with people coming up with various theories and you never get shown. Mm. Nothing is ever confirmed. Yes. So you're not even sure that she has one. Yeah. It just seems to be an endless sport to talk about it. Yeah, I'm reminded of actually some of David Cronenberg's movies. Mm. So Dead Ringers is one that springs to mind because they have it's a gynecologist that works on women with weird genitalia or something. Mm. And so he yeah. has to invent these strange alien-looking implements to work on them during surgery it's a strange film it is yeah and there are twins in it played by the same actor is it jeremy irons that plays mm, them yeah it's just a strange premise and it really had similar vibes to this movie just so strange that it just doesn't seem possible that mm. this, that reality could get to the stage yeah and it's really disturbing to watch because you recognize that there is a kernel of truth in there mm. that we are strangely obsessed like you say just yeah saying things like i shook somebody's hand the other day and now i'm not going to wash it for a week it's mm. like why mm. why would you do that <laughs> I know. have some hygiene yeah. especially now <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i watched this movie a while ago and at the time i didn't have that sort of discomfort but it was unsettling to watch this movie Mm. because of what's happening around the world right now with coronavirus yeah seeing all these people get very sick yes in this movie a tremendous amount of blood coughing up blood Mm. some scenes not so convincing because you can see the actor caleb landry jones holding in the blood you can see him holding in the blood and then spitting it out so Not every scene looks convincing, but (laughs) yeah, a tremendous amount of coughing up blood, a tremendous amount of needles. Oh my. So if you don't like needles... This is not your movie. Do not watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's all real as well. It is. It's all close-ups of blood being extracted and needles Mm -hmm. going into skin because... It's very difficult to fake, and he wanted to show it, so here it is. Oh, yeah, and it just gets, like, worse and worse. I mean, that scene where where, um, the character Sid stabs that guy in the gums. (gasps) 
Oh, God. It's the I, worst I, possible. It makes me shiver just thinking about it. Stabbing someone in the gums with yeah. a needle. It's the worst possible thing that you can imagine for a needle. It triggers everybody's worst fears in so many ways. Yes. So, yes. yes, he's very good at finding your soft spot and just pushing on it really hard. Mm. And, mm. yes, echoes to now, yes. definitely. I mean, one of the main plot threads is that Hannah Geist is infected with an unknown disease that kills her and the main character, Sid, has infected himself with it to pirate it, mm. not realising what it was. And somebody says, and now they're saying it's some virus that she picked up in China. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How are these movies so prophetic? I mean, in Contagion as well, that movie, she gets it from China. She does, yeah. But in that case, the screenwriter said that he wasn't particularly prophetic. He just talked to the CDC and they said, OK, this is where it's most likely to come from highly populated place with poor food hygiene standards so right yeah. right <laughs> china oh, poor china <laughs> In the commentary, they'd say that they had a rule that they would not have any pans or tilts in terms of camera movement mm. apart from when the character Sid was moving somewhere. I did find one scene that they completely scrapped that rule, which was in the deli. They had a handheld in the uh. deli and... It was just a deli. <laughs> it was just people selling celebrity meat. In a deli. Which, by the way, is disgusting. <laughs> Slabs of grown, what, muscle cells from celebrities. That is... Yeah. Again, an extrapolation of a very real technology because you can take cells from a cow mm -hmm. and then you can... You can grow a steak. Grow a fake steak. Yeah. It's disgusting, but... It's technically <laughs> not from an actual animal, so no. I guess... Vegetarian? It is, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Technically, it could be the way forward, but at the moment, it's horrifically expensive. Mm. Um, not necessarily very tasty, but yeah. it's possible to grow protein this way. So here's our extrapolation of that. Tom Cruise burgers. <laughs> Chew on Tom Cruise's muscle. Mm. I mean, the character said even at one stage, see, is I don't understand how this isn't considered cannibalism. Because <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it really is. But it's all about about consuming that celebrity culture in any way you can. Yeah, by literally consuming that celebrity. <laughs> mm, exactly, yeah. It's interesting what you say about the visual style. It does have a very profound effect on the film. It is a very cold film, yes, I would say. Very cold. Not only in terms of how white it is, but also how still it is. It's not a very impassioned, melodramatic movie in the way that it's conceived or pulled off visually, mm. which gives it a sort of Kubrickian air almost, I would say. Yes, yes. I had an almost clockwork orange vibe mm. um, from it. it. It did remind yeah. me of, of movies like The Island as well. Yeah. And, um, was it George Lucas's first film? TH? Oh, yeah, THX1138, yeah. Yeah, kind of similar vibe. Yeah, very cold throughout the entire film of Antiviral, to the point where I didn't relate to any of the characters. No. And I couldn't really even like any of the characters or, or really engage with any of them. Huge praise for Caleb Landry-Jones. He carries the film he's amazing in it yeah when he gets the virus you really feel like he is sick he looks 
gross. Yes. And he did actually <laughs> go to sort of extreme measures to really convey the sickness as well. Like apparently mm. in one of the scenes in the cafe, he stuffed his mouth full of napkins yeah. so that it would dry out his mouth. And before <laughs> they would yell, action, he had to spit out this wad of napkins so that, yeah, he would have this kind of really ultra dry mouth when he talked. So I give him a lot of praise yeah. for his acting, but his character, I felt like it didn't develop no. because he was very sort of standoffish and sort of a loner to start off with. And he continued to be like that. And also one of the first scenes, he's already sick with one of the viruses that he's pirating. So there was no sort of progression of being healthy to sickness. Mm. He was kind of already sick and then healthy and then sick and then healthy and then really sick. <laughs> like it wasn't like, you know, like movies like The Fly, another David Cronenberg movie, where, <laughs> yeah. you know, you see a progression of a character being like very healthy and put together to like turning into this monster. Yeah. But I didn't feel that in this movie. No, you're right. I mean, he's amazing in this role in the sense of how committed he is. Mm. I've liked him ever since I saw him in Get Out. I thought he was amazing in that movie. He yes. played one of the um, evil white family. I mean, he, it has to be said, he is very, very white. He is very, very pale. Mm. Uh, I think he has ginger hair and a lot of freckles. Yes. So he's quite a pale, ghostly sort of figure to begin with and quite thin and gets progressively sicker and thinner and paler as the movie progresses. Mm. So, I mean, he's great in the role, but as written, the character doesn't really have any development. There's almost no motivations even. No. Because the ending doesn't really tie anything up. No. So he's contracted this virus that ends up killing Hannah Geist, but not really killing her, almost killing her, one of the twists. So what are his motivations? To cure the virus? But then at the end, the last scene, he's cured somehow. I guess he must have struck a deal with the competing company mm. that originally engineered the virus, I guess. But I don't know. There wasn't any resolution to that. It just had a final scene that was shocking but not really conclusive. Yeah. And so I felt like the movie was not really even going in a direction. It was just flatlining and then it ended. Yeah. Like it, there wasn't a sense of suspense or tension or drive. No, it does try to turn into one of those detective trying to find a cure for his own poisoning before he dies Yeah, movies. Or one of those things where somebody's trying to find out who killed them. Yes. The victim as protagonist. Sort of like um, Dennis Quaid's DOA from 1988 oh, Okay, is one of these movies with Meg Ryan again, interestingly enough. And Jason Statham did a movie like this called Crank. Oh, yes. I love Crank. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen Crank? Yes. Oh, I haven't seen that one. So that's another one where he's trying to figure out who did this to him before he dies kind mm -hmm. of thing, but mm -hmm. crossed with speed because <laughs> he has to keep his revs up yes. above a certain level. Yeah. yeah, so it tries to turn into sort of a detective plot, but halfway through, but it sort of fizzles out. And then the ending doesn't seem to relate to anything because I didn't really understand why the movie's ending seems to suggest that he is obsessed with Hannah Geist so much so that he's quite happy to tend to her body slowly growing in a tube 
and suck on the blood that's being produced artificially through this biological system in an iron lung, which is hideous. Mm. So he's sort of like a vampire, but I never thought that he was obsessed with her in that way. No. I thought that was sales patter from yeah. the very beginning of the movie. I thought he was sort of coldly cynical about the whole thing. Yeah. Certainly he talks about eating the meat as cannibalism. I thought he was critiquing the whole thing. Exactly. And just taking advantage of it for his own ends. Yeah. I didn't get any sense of him being actually obsessed with Hannah Geist at all. No. So that end just seemed meaningless almost. Yeah. Like it didn't it almost seemed just shocking for shock value only. Mm. Also, was that actually Hannah Geist's body? I thought they'd just taken some cells and just grown her. Yeah, I think you're right actually. I think or was that actually her? No, I think it could be. It's either that they've kept what's left of her and they're just letting it grow yeah or they've grown her again i don't know it could be either yeah doesn't really mean anything Mm. and that's one of my biggest problems with the movie it has this sense of being the result of an awful lot of research brandon cronenberg talks about how he was writing this movie on and off for eight years oh wow and you can tell that he's put a lot of thought into it but you tend to have this thing where scenes will begin with a character telling us something interesting that Brandon has discovered during his research. Mm-hmm. And then once they've finished telling you that, we'll then get on with telling you the next plot device. So you have the scene where Dorian Lucas, the head of the Lucas Clinic, talks about how tulips are only striped if they've been infected with a virus. Otherwise, they're just a solid colour. Mm-hmm. Or the scene where the guy that runs the Astral Bodies meat market, Arvid, He talks about how Henrietta Lacks, this lady who died of cancer in the 1950s, but her cells are still being grown all over the world as part of cancer research. And I looked it up. That's true, Mm, which is fascinating. So he says something about the afterlife is becoming perverse or something, which I thought is interesting. And when Sid March is captured by the competitor and put in this white room where they're studying the pathology of his death so that they can share that with the world so people can feel connected to Hannah Geist's death or something. Mm. You have the scene that begins with one of his captors sitting on his bed talking about the sexual politics of viruses and how it's all very penetrative, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they say these little nuggets of information and then they move on to the plot and it happens over and over again, scene after scene. So the whole film just feels like a thought experiment rather rather than a narrative, or a thought experiment disguised as a narrative. Yeah. And it doesn't quite come together as a thrilling viewing experience. Yeah. My biggest qualm with the film was the characters, apart from maybe Sid and Arvid possibly Hmm. everyone else is like a placeholder yeah (laughs) they're non-characters i can understand their approach to hannah geist because she is supposed to be this otherworldly celebrity that doesn't even have a personality really because they've put her up on a pedestal yeah but in saying that i didn't feel anything when they showed her being sick because she had no personality and so It just seemed like the only character was Caleb and we were just following Caleb doing these things that didn't really eventuate to much. No. I mean, I have to say, second movie that we've covered that very underutilised Malcolm McDowell. Yes. Why is he in this film? (laughs) (laughs) Well... 
apparently he has a habit of helping out first-time directors by making cameos in their okay. movies. Right. Which is very nice and supportive of him. One thing I would say, I, I actually think he's better in this movie than I've seen him in a long time. All right. Okay. The two scenes that he's in and the speech that he delivers, I actually believe it. Yes. Which okay. I don't often with Malcolm. He just seems stiff and fake to me most of the time. I can just see the acting cogs moving. Okay. And okay. yeah, I did like the fact that Hannah Geist was just not a real person in a very real sense and quite deliberately because that's the whole point that they're trying to make about celebrity, mm. that celebrity is a group hallucination, that this persona that's being created that we all obsess over has no relationship to the actual biological entity that's sitting on the other side of it. Sure. And I thought that proved the point really well. I mean, I quite like the fact that she never even has lines until she's died. Yeah. After she has supposedly died, then he gets to meet her and speak to her as a human being who's sick. Mm. I found that quite interesting. And the other time you see her, quote unquote, alive talking is in this computer simulation in a box that's just like a sadomasochistic version of Alexa or something mm. that you can talk to, which I found really disturbing. Yeah. Again, just an extrapolation from where we are with deep fake porn. I don't know if you know about deep fake porn. Yes. <laughs> which is where you use the face swapping AI technology to slap a celebrity's face on some porn footage and then you've got a celebrity porn movie you can beat off to. So it's, you know, it's not that far-fetched, but it's a disturbing idea. So, I mean, I like some of that stuff, but again, it all feels like it's just intellectually interesting. It's not actually all that fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I think that was my main criticism of the film. There were a lot of parts of the film that were really fascinating and visually mm. it's like perfection it's like a cinematographer's wet dream of framing and lighting and camera yeah. work listening to the commentary of this film it's just a big promotional advertisement for the Ari Alexa camera that he uses in this film and a lot of talk about lighting. Yeah. The camera was so sharp, apparently. They keep getting reflections of the crew in blood and the eyeball of the actors. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. It's pretty amazing. Um, the pre-production of this film is incredible as well. All mm. of the magazines that they have, all the promotional videos for the Lucas Clinic, all the news footage of Hannah Geist and also her funeral, all of that was so well done, mm -hmm. so convincing. But, yeah, narratively, it just doesn't really grab you. Like, there were a lot of scenes that were mind-blowingly visually pleasing mm. but really boring <laughs> at the same <laughs> yeah. time like a lot of scenes that i was kind of like oh is the scene still going oh, okay next please next scene oh nothing's happened oh, okay it's just another slow-mo of him walking down the hallway with flowers okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. looks good yeah but it takes too long yeah and the soundtrack is interesting too i don't know what you made of the music to me it fits into that category of sound design scores where it's just noises apparently it's lots of acoustic sounds treated through synthetic means including lots of really vintage modular synthesizers it worked it created a mood 
I didn't think it was particularly groundbreaking or interesting, but it certainly worked. I really liked the soundtrack. Obviously, big synth nerd over here. Mm. Uh, it did remind me of a lot of stuff that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, the music is very cold. It's lots of pulsing and moody tones mm. and sort of synthetic sounds. Not exactly pleasant to listen to. No, I'm um, not rushing out to buy the soundtrack album. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you're going to put it on and go, oh, yeah, jamming out to like just a pulse wave for like <laughs> 10 minutes, you know. But I, I think it really does add to the sort of coldness of the film. Like mm. it does make you feel quite unnerved mm. throughout. And also the music even though it was all synthesizers, analog synthesizers, it had a sort of organic quality to it. Mm. Like it seemed to kind of ebb and flow, uh, which I, I really liked because it embodied like almost like a viral ebb and flow, like an organic sort of sound. Um, yeah. I thought they did really well with the music. It certainly works, yes. And Kareem Hussain's cinematography is amazing. And yes, he talks about it at great length in the commentary. So if you are a burgeoning cinematographer and you want some hints and tips, this is the commentary for you, especially if you want to know exactly how to use an Arri Alexa. Yes. And if you wait (laughs) until the very end of the commentary, you get a special Easter egg of a treat, don't you, Dan? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you get a... I guess theme song. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't even know how you describe it. It's pretty much Kareem Hussain, the cinematographer, just ad-libbing a song mm-hmm. to the credit music. Yeah, with a random woodwind instrument honking as well. Yeah, that I don't believe is in the end credits track. No, I don't think it is. Yeah. So I don't know if it's Brandon Cronenberg on bassoon while Kareem Hussain goes antiviral. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I I think it is very fashion shooty the movie. Like everything just seems very deliberate with how everything's framed. Mm. All the TVs in the movie are actually playing footage on the actual TVs, mm. which you never see in movies. It's always a green screen TV yeah. that they composite crap on later. And if it's done badly, it looks like crap. Yep. <laughs> it looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like, wow, that's a green screen TV right there. But yeah, they use actual TVs playing actual footage and it works really well. I mean, it must have been a nightmare with lighting, because yeah. I know when I try to film something in front of my computer screen, I have to dim it because it just blows out. Yeah. So, yeah, it must have <laughs> been a nightmare. But uh, I think they did it so that the actors could react to the stuff mm. on the screen. Yeah, um, which you can't beat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that I like about the movie is the dedication towards the practical over the digital. Yes. And Brandon Cronenberg has the same sort of attitude towards digital effects that I find myself agreeing with, which is that you use it to repair seams in makeup. You use it on the cityscape that you see at the beginning to create a hodgepodge city out of different bits of cities so that it's no one city in particular. I mean, Mm. shot in Toronto, obviously, but it doesn't look like Toronto. It's a city that doesn't exist. Mm. And it's a special effects shot that you would never notice, but... It's there just to serve a purpose because computer graphics are really good at compositing things together seamlessly Mm. and tidying up seams on practical makeup effects and 
hiding a hole in the wall because Caleb Landry Jones punched a hole in the wall at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. The CGI in this movie is flawless. I didn't yeah. pick any of it. None of it. I thought, oh, wow, that's CGI. Mm. Absolutely none of it. It is so well done in this movie. Yeah, it's just invisible stuff, which I love. Yeah, I, I think it is, like what you said, Brandon really had a lot of emphasis on practical as much as possible, including mm. the TVs playing actual footage. Yeah, Even that really strange scene with Sid and he turns into some weird-ass <laughs> machine thing with the grill over his mouth, even that looked really amazing and that was all prosthetic with a little bit of touching up but mm. so well done like it looked like it was in the scene yeah and the um, void comp machine from Blade Runner that they're using as well to identify and decode the viruses that's a practical machine that's sort of halfway between steampunk and halfway organic like it has a face as well when it decodes mm. the viruses the ready face machine yeah which i really liked i liked it as well the effect itself was pretty amazing because they literally just held up like shitty kids magnifying glasses in front of the camera lens yeah which was amazing <laughs> that's so cool it looked amazing and i just thought oh they must have done that in photoshop but no they did it practically yeah so that's incredible i didn't understand the ready face machine right so what does it do <laughs> <laughs> it copyrights diseases yeah supposedly so it enables you to identify a disease by rendering the information about it as a human face because human faces contain so much visual information for a human being so they just interpret that as a visual language okay so it creates the face of the virus and then the technician makes subtle distorting changes to it so that it's a not contagious so only the person who's given it gets sick uh -huh. and b can't be copied right so it copy protects it and prevents contagion so just you and you alone can have julia roberts's mouth ulcers i don't yeah yeah so that's that's <laughs> the idea <laughs> <laughs> because i mean it's a pretty out there idea mm. it's like if you're editing software to edit an iMovie, instead of a timeline, it's a human face. <laughs> yeah, and you just move the eyes around. And... You just move the eyes around. <laughs> but I, I felt like it didn't really go anywhere with Yeah, I, I mean, it gets infected itself, trying to decode the Hannah Geist infection that's been genetically engineered. Yeah. And yeah, so it gets infected itself, much like the games consoles in Existence, yes. which is... Another, Another David Credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Now it's time for random trivia. So, Dan, what rare and tropical piece of trivia have you caught off some celebrity today? <laughs> well, the celebrity meat that features in this film that uh, Arvid sells in his delightful deli is actually mm. made from seitan. Ah. Which is an all-vegetarian product. It's actually gluten. It's pretty much pure gluten. I've I've actually made it a couple of times. Oh, have you? Yeah. It's, oh. Uh, What's it like? If, if you make it really well, it, it is similar to chicken in texture. It doesn't taste like chicken. It tastes like nothing because it's just gluten. Um, but you flavor it and it has a similar sort of stringy 
fibrous quality to chicken. And you can make it from flour. You just, you pretty much have to make a dough from flour and just wash it and wash it and wash it and it washes all the starch away and you're left with just pure gluten. Right. It's a, it's interesting. It's interesting. Ah, so not good if you have a gluten allergy, obviously. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's our trivia. Yeah, I think you're right that it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, the critique of celebrity culture in and of itself feels a little bit dated. I mean, certainly from the perspective of 2020, the idea that celebrity culture being a significant problem for society is kind of laughable, really, when we're dealing with an algorithm and social media breaking down Western democracy mm. and a worldwide pandemic that's bringing the economy to its knees. Yes. In fact, celebrities became almost irrelevant. There was a point at the beginning of COVID-19 where they started to feel ignored and started making videos where they were all singing John mm. Lennon's Imagine together and stuff to yes. sort of say, hello, yeah, yeah. we still exist. It felt a bit desperate, didn't it? I just feel as though with the critique of celebrity culture, it doesn't seem to go anywhere other than say we're obsessed with celebrities it's a bit pathetic isn't it yeah and that's as far as it goes yeah it reminded me of the feedback that i got from one of my lecturers at university when i would write an essay uh, the late great victor perkins he's no longer with us he wrote to me something that's always stuck with me which was ideas have a tendency to repeat rather than develop <laughs> and i think that happens in this movie as well that oh. just keeps clubbing you over the head with the same thing over and over again for example the scene at the beginning where this character called edward porris is infected with the herpes virus and it gets the whole idea of the seduction the sexual nature of it it's all very penetrative he gasps he has sort of an orgasm when he's infected and it gets the whole point sells who this character Sid March is what his job is what's going on here what the transaction is you get it and then you get the same scene again later when a girl comes in to be infected with Aria Noble's flu from the Caribbean. Or I can't yes. remember. And it's just the same scene repeated and it gives you no new information. It tells you nothing new about any of the characters or the mechanics of how this is working. Mm. It doesn't need to be there, but it just keeps repeating. Right. Yes. The only thing that it reminded me is of David Cronenberg's movie <laughs> again, oh, no. Crash, whereby there are all these scenes where people crash cars and have sex in them and it just keeps happening. The plot doesn't develop at all. There it kind of functioned to underline just how stupid obsession is, that obsessions are not actually all that melodramatic and fascinating. They're mm. actually kind of dull. Yeah. So that was making a point about its central thesis. Maybe that's what this movie is doing. Yeah. It was giving you all the right information about this reality, mm. but you didn't really see further than that. Yeah. I would have loved to see this movie with more of Hannah Geist in it from her perspective and her sort of dealings with this. Like, I mean, it's pretty weird to be a celebrity and have your bodily fluids slash cells <laughs> slash, you know, diseases being sold to people. Like, it, it would have been interesting from her perspective. Yeah, it's true. But it was purely from St. March's perspective. And I don't know, I feel like we were peering through a little peephole, but we weren't really seeing the whole picture. No. And actually, I think that would have been the much more interesting way into the story, would have been looking at it from her perspective rather than his. Yeah. I almost wanted Sid to die 
mm-hmm. in the end. I almost felt like there would have been a better ending. Yeah. And people started harvesting him instead. Like, I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something a little bit more shocking. I don't know. I, although, you know, it was shocking to see a Hannah Geist grown human in a tube. Mm. That was shocking. But the whole movie seemed to be going to something that would have been way more shocking. Yeah. But it wasn't. It didn't get that. the only thing else i wanted to say in the commentary so in one of the scenes they go to i guess like a porno cinema movie theater oh yeah and that was an actual (laughs) real porno cinema yeah and the cinematographer said they never thought they would ever have the problem of flaky dried semen oh (laughs) but they did oh (laughs) on the seats and on the walls and on the floor oh my Uh, yeah, and ceiling so. as well. Didn't he say that they have like booths for people to have fun in? Yeah. And somebody walked in there with a black light and scanned the room. Oh, and the, yeah. There yeah. were stains like... on the ceiling as well. It's like, <laughs> it's like paint splatter everywhere. <laughs> wow. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you could tell that it was, though. It looked pretty seedy. Oh, Literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so apparently that's in Hamilton. In uh, Canada, just outside of Toronto, so yeah, <laughs> probably the place to go. Yeah, if you want to do one of those movie location holidays, <laughs> yes, maybe collect some of the flaky semen. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> it would be in the spirit of the movie. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I think that'll do. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards! It's the Movie Awards. Let's all get stuck into our celebrity meat steaks and come up with our favourite needle-injecting parts of the film in the number of surprisingly well-dressed black suit and tie categories. Best quote. So there was a lot of serious dialogue in this film. Um, there was one... Mm that I found funny, so I'm probably going to use it for my funniest part of the movie. So it's when (laughs) his work colleagues are just standing around waiting to... I don't even know what they're doing. They're returning viruses. (laughs) Is that what they're doing? Anyway, they're talking about Sarah Holden, and one of them says, they didn't even know about Sarah Holden's skin flap until I told them last night. And then one of them says to Sid, Sid, skin flaps are beneath you. It's just one of those conversations <laughs> that just sounds <laughs> ridiculous out of context. Yeah, it really does. How about you, Conrad? Favourite quote? Uh, probably my favourite quote is Malcolm McDowell's oh. quote. Talking about celebrity, he says, I'm not a spiritual man. A belief in God, it's always struck me as a sign, as dangerous infantilism. But there is a power, something in the thrall of the collective eye, that can be consumed and appropriated. Mm. And I thought, okay, so you just get the biggest star of your movie show up and just basically deliver the theme. (laughs) Here's the theme! (laughs) Best hair or costume! I think I'll go with the obvious choice, which is Hannah Geist. Right. I, I love how they made her up to look like a 40s, like Hollywood starlet with the, the wavy bl- mm. platinum blonde hair and the ruby red lipstick. And, and her skin is just flawless in the photographs yeah. and all the promo videos. It's, yeah, they did a really good job. 
and creating this almost like deity, like she's like a goddess. It's amazing. Yeah. I was actually going to call out uh, Levine, who is the nemesis oh, okay. of Sid March, yeah. who you meet later on in the movie. And I just love that he shows up in a flannel shirt and a grey v-neck pullover and jeans. And he looks just like a member of the crew. Oh, yes. Wandered into shot <laughs> and thought, or he, you know, just wore his own clothes for the yeah. day. And they said, yeah, that's good yeah. enough. Yeah, just, just just be in the scene. I just love it. Whenever everything else in the movie is so very precisely designed. And then this guy just shows up looking like, I don't know, me. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> <laughs> Most 2010s moment. I don't know whether this is 2010s, but I guess post-2000s. But mm-hmm. often a lot of sort of more professional companies or organizations, whether it be FBI or, or whatnot, they always wear black and white suits. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost got, gotten to the point where it looks dated. It doesn't look mm-hmm. modern anymore. Like, I, I mean, I think of movies like The Matrix and Men in Black oh, and, yeah, and that yeah. sort of stuff. And even more modern shows like Umbrella Academy, the assassins in that wear black and white suits for some strange reason. Like, it's... Right. In this okay. movie, it makes no sense because surely they should be wearing lab coats. I mean, why are they wearing <laughs> black and white suits? Yeah, it's a very distinctive look and, and quite different from the 90s, I guess, when you would have all these uh, pastels and loud shirts sure. and weird ties. and Yeah. So it was a reaction to that, I think, going back to something classical. Yeah. How about you? What was your almost 2010s moment? Uh, it's a technology thing. So at one point when Sid goes to meet Hannah for the first time, someone in the crowd that's clamoring outside her hotel is holding up a Blackberry phone. Oh, right. Yes. Wow. Do you remember yes, Blackberry phones? <laughs> they were all the rage for late 2000s, early mm. 2010s. But wow, they were dead by 2015 or so, weren't mm, they, pretty much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Favourite scene! So I didn't have a favourite scene in this movie, but I had a favourite shot. Oh, yes. Which is shortly after he has that weird fever dream that you mentioned, where he's got tubes coming out mm. of him and a grill for a yes. mouth and all that kind of thing. When he wakes up from that, there is this great shot of him looking at himself in the mirror and the mirror has a beveled edge to it and they've lined it up so that as he moves his hand over this bruise that he has on his arm it looks as though his finger penetrates his flesh and actually goes into it ah but it's all achieved practically just because it's a mirror and there's a beveled edge to the mirror and it takes you a few seconds to figure out visually what's going on and i thought it just seems so resourceful i don't know whether it was planned or they just noticed that this effect could be achieved on the day and just did it but i just loved it in terms of how it played into the themes of the movie and yeah how simple it was but how effective it was and how you could get disturbing images even from everyday objects like Mm. that i just i love that i thought that was great yeah they really used sort of framing really well and then lighting especially Mm. yeah wow uh, my favourite scene, yeah. Sid's escape scene. Mm. He's been captured by the competing company and an imprisoned in this white room. And as, is it the CEO? It's mm. chatting to him about something profound. 
Uh, Sid escapes by stabbing him in the gums with a needle. Ow. And <laughs> escapes the room. This is probably the only instance of sort of shaky handheld camera work that I've actually enjoyed. Like it, it follows mm. Sid's movements. It's just a really, really tense mm. scene with some incredible physical acting. Caleb Landry Jones just knocks it out of the park with that scene. It, you really feel a sense yeah. of urgency and, and desperation. Most cliche sci-fi moment. Is it going to be needles? <laughs> <laughs> Any biological horror sci-fi film always has to have needles. And there are so many yeah. needles in this movie. <laughs> yeah, real needle. So this is a needle snuff movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I have to say they are not ginormous, massive, one foot long needles, no. which is nice to see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Conrad? Cliche? My sci-fi cliche is the killer plague was man-made all along. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, so we have seen this in films like The Blob, where you find out The Blob is actually a scientific experiment Mm. gone wrong, and it happens in 28 Days Later, and I Am Legend. I mean, and it even pervades to today, because there is this conspiracy theory that COVID-19 is man-made in Mm. China or something, isn't there? Which is uh, not true, but hey, believe in that if you like. Um, So yeah, just the discovery that the mysterious illness that killed Hannah Geist was actually corporately engineered in order to get an exclusive line of afterlife products from their biggest star that they didn't have on their roster. Yeah. Best special effect. I really liked, I mean, I had problems with that last scene, but I thought that arm, that sort of grown Mm. synthetic arm that looked like a bath rail um, <laughs> but was skin colored <laughs> this is skin colored bath rail yeah that's his next movie <laughs> it looked so convincing though the the pigment the, the, yeah. the skin tone was it just looked like skin and when he touched it mm. it seemed to compress like skin mm. and i found out with with the commentary as well it was it was cgi it wasn't even yeah. a practical effect. There was, I guess they m- must have had some sort of rubbery green screened uh, handle and that they just composited the skin tone over. But it looked so convincing. Yeah. And then he cuts it and it bleeds and it looks like it's bleeding like an arm would bleed. Mm. Just amazing. Mm. How about you? Special effect. Oh, we've spoken about it many times, but the syringe in the gums. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely convincing, for sure. It's totally convincing and wince-inducing. So, yeah, I thought that was a really good shocking effect that came up late in the movie. But I loved it. Or didn't love it. (laughs) Well, in equal measure. Like, me personally went, ooh, but the horror hound in me said, yes. (laughs) Favourite sound effect. My favourite sound effect in the movie was a piston that was on the ready face Uh machine because it had like a breathing quality to it, but also a metal scraping noise as the valve just sort of pushed through the clear tube. So it was 
kind of breathing and then in that dream sequence the same thing happens to Sid's back like it yeah, protrudes from his back yes, it does. yeah so with his breathing so yeah I love the whole mechanical biological crossover they had going there like I thought it was very effective mm, mm, mm. yes uh, my favorite sound not favorite sound but made me shiver with grossness <laughs> was <laughs> was actually when he when he's doing the swab on himself and he's actually putting oh. it up his nose and there's just like very subtle sort of squelchy sounds as he's sort of moving oh. it around oh it just made yeah. me want to turn it off and walk away <laughs> it was just so <laughs> like so subtle but so realistic and also as as a bit of trivia as well that swab wasn't actually going into his nose it was going into the palm of his hand which he was cupping yeah the swab, which was so convincing because i thought yeah. he was like wow he's actually doing it that looks uncomfortable yeah yeah i did too most funniest moment my favorite was a scene uh, and it's just after one of the employees where sid works explains that he's covered for him because he's been sick for ages so he's been making excuses for him so he doesn't get fired oh. and sid thanks him and by way of explanation for his behavior his co-worker says I need someone non-responsive to talk to and you're cheaper than my therapist. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. It struck me as sort of a Woody Allen kind of line. Yeah, sure, sure. Patron's <laughs> Choice. So we have a new category for the Movie Awards, our Patron's Choice category. Yeah. So any of our patrons on Patreon can nominate a category for every episode mm. that we do. And we'll change it up every episode. What is it today, mm. Conrad? So we had a category nominated by uh, Hannah. And she asks us to identify the strongest character and the weakest character in the movie. So Strongest. I think it has to be. It's got to be Sid, hasn't it? Uh, he's pretty much yeah. the only character in this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and weakest, I mean, I would say Hannah Geist. Yeah. Because by design, by, she's just yeah, not there, is she? For sure, for sure. She's just a pretty mm. face. She is. I mean, her name is Geist, which is ghost. Yeah, so. she is. <laughs> a celebrity ghost. <laughs> She is, yeah. All right, and that's... That's our movies. Yes, it is. It's the final part of the podcast where we present our closing statements about antiviral, whether it should be released from its white-walled prison to contract as many celebrity viral diseases as it can stomach, be praised <laughs> by its adoring fans, or should it be encased in an iron lung and rolled down into the darkness of the oubliette, <laughs> eradicated from film history. Conrad... Did you love this film? I did not. No. <laughs> right. Sorry. I should I should build up to it with some more suspense. Shouldn't I? Sorry. <laughs> 
Uh, Duncan Skull said, I was so good at doing that whole build-up thing. Will, uh, oh, will yes. he, won't he? And I just, just ruined it there. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's a very well-thought-out film. It's a very carefully constructed movie. It's beautifully crafted. There are some fascinating ideas in it. There's some really good sort of extrapolation of current trends into their extremes so that we can look at them and consider them on for what they are. But the characters, they're just not interesting. I didn't care about anybody. They just seem to be conduits for Brandon's various ideas, especially in scenes where they just spout a bit of research he's done and then move on to the plot. Uh, they don't seem to develop in any way. I wasn't engaged in it. And the film is just so cold, so uninvitingly cold. Mm. Um, for a film that's full of blood, it's a strangely bloodless movie, to be honest. That was my final conclusion, mm. my my witty phrase to sum up the movie. I, yeah, I just... I think he's a very promising filmmaker... He clearly has taken his father's inheritance and gone in his own direction. I think that's great. I think that's what he should do. I hear that his next film, Possessor, is getting rave reviews across the board, and I'm very excited to see it. The central idea in it sounds fascinating. Mm. So I certainly think he's one to watch. I will watch whatever he does next. In terms of whether I would recommend this movie for people to watch... Maybe only if you're a really big genre fan and you're fascinated. But I, I I just can't see myself recommending it to everyone and saying, this is one to miss. This is one that was cruelly neglected when it was released. I just I can't bring myself to say that about this movie. Mm. How about you? Yep. What you said. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's such a well-produced, crafted, constructed thought out written movie mm-hmm. that just doesn't work as a story <laughs> no as a narrative it doesn't work the characters i don't really care what happens to them no. even though Caleb Landry Jones is incredible in this movie he commits mm. and even Sarah Gedon that plays Hannah Geis she's she's amazing in sort of having this air of mystery and sort of otherworldliness, she really does embody that. Mm. And both of them have been in incredible movies after this movie as well. Um, Caleb Landry Jones, he was in X-Men First Class, Get Out, The Florida Project, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Sarah Gadon has been in uh, David Cronenberg movies. She was in Cosmopolis (laughs) and Maps to the Stars and also another really great movie called Enemy. So... Those mm. two, I'm going to follow. I agree with you about Brandon Cronenberg. I'm definitely going to watch whatever he puts out next. But this movie was not enjoyable. Uh, no. For the most part, I was either unnerved by needles mm-hmm. <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. I was bored. I don't yeah. like saying I'm bored in a movie, but there was many parts of the movie that were just so almost pointless. Yeah. They looked great, but pointless. I don't think it's a bad movie. No, I I don't think it's a bad movie either. And if you want to learn about 
using the Ari Alexa camera, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or if you want, <laughs> if you want to learn about lighting, watch this movie. This is the movie to learn about those things. But um, as an experience, no, it's a no, no, no. Okay, well, let's sterilize this thing and <laughs> hurl it back in there. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, that was fun. All right, Conrad. What movie are we going to be uncovering next time? Well, we've done the 80s, we've done 2010s. So I thought, let's do something from the 90s. Oh. I've been to the 90s for a while. Yes. <laughs> My favourite decade. It is, it is. So we shall take a look at the 1995 Canadian-American science fiction horror action movie... Screamers. Ah, haven't seen that one for a while. Mm. Ah, so you've seen this one before. Yes, I, I went through a, sort of a big Philip K. Dick adaptation movie phase ah. where I was trying to seek out all of his movies. Um, so, yeah, this is one of those movies. Yes, it is indeed. It is an adaptation of Philip K. Dick's second variety. It's screenplay by Dan O'Bannon and Miguel Tejada Flores, Tejada Flores. Okay. I'm not sure how you deal with J's in <laughs> some cases. Sorry. And directed by Christian Dugay. So interesting. And stars none other than Robocop, Peter Weller. Uh -huh. And Jennifer Rubin. So yeah, interesting cast, interesting crew. Not seen it. So looking forward yes. to that. Can't wait. And it's its 25th anniversary this month, so... Ooh. Ooh timely. Time to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, listeners, if you want to keep up with all of our episodes or message us, tell us what we've got wrong or right with our reviews, you can follow us mm. on our, all our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. Yes, and if you want to support the show, you can head on over to Patreon, where for a dollar, you can nominate films for us to cover in future. And of course, now you can suggest categories for the Moobly Awards, which we're really looking forward to doing. Be as wild and creative as you like. Yes. And for $5, you get access to all of our extra bonus material, including extended interviews with celebrity guests and so forth. So loads of great stuff to be had on Patreon. Mm, we're looking forward to your Moobly Awards suggestions. Mm, very much so. And please, <laughs> uh, if you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast platform you are listening to us on. Yep. Really helps spread the word about the show. So it's one of the best ways to support us if you can take a moment. To yes. Uh, that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's it. I think I'll go away and swab my nose and <laughs> wash my hands a few times. Yeah. And stay away from needles. Indeed. Gosh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I can't say I'm looking forward to the vaccination for coronavirus quite so much after watching this movie. But, right, yes. yeah. <laughs> well, as long as we're not stabbed in the gums, I'm fine oh, with it. <laughs> no, that's the thing. If the, if the prevention for coronavirus has to be administered by gums, would you take it? There's our question for social media. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Goodbye. <laughs> We review the films.
good. Come with us and don't run up the movie Juliet. Do you know he used to torment his lovers by packing his foreskin with spices before intercourse?